for a few minutes, friends. I'm conscious of time, and there's been lots of great things shared tonight. And um, when uh, when the prayer list goes out on a Friday, and you see Neil and Lou's name on there with the family, that's why we pray. And um, because of the amazing uh, call of God upon their lives. And it's a call, friends. And, you know, I never cease to be uh, moved. Uh, You know, there's just nothing like it. Moved by uh, God in the 21st century, 2,000 years into this journey of the Christian church, still calling people to do an amazing work for him. In the natural, it makes no sense to take three young children to a place 30 minutes from Tirana, and you've seen some of the issues there. makes no sense at all, apart from God has called them. And God takes people that the world wouldn't look at at times and uses them amazingly. And uh, just stirred again today in listening to just a little flavor of what Lou's been able to share in that little time that she's had. So pray for them and all those other people. Just at this particular moment, my friend uh, Gavin and Glenda, they're, they're literally out doing the schools again, right in the middle of the schools that I was able to join with them in Uganda in uh, September, October, and, and sort of just thinking about them this week and sowing again into those students. And all over the world, there are heroes obeying the call of God and the kingdom's advancing at a pace, friends. And we want God to do it amazingly here. Right at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus says, "Then, or rather the, the gospel says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when, he saw, when they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. We are running a series on a Sunday evening called Arena DNA. And we kicked off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, by going to 1 Corinthians 3, and we made a bit of a play of that understanding of DNA in these days in a natural sense, and reminding ourselves, friends, that we're very precious to God. God, when he saved us, whether he saved us as young people, whether there was a lot of stuff that took place in our lives before we came to Jesus, uh, we've got one or two older people at the moment down at Arena Ilkeston trying to find their way to faith. It's fascinating. All the sort of stuff of life and getting the way to find Jesus and just see something new for the first time in their aged years, and it's brilliant. But we individually receive that, and then it's increasingly revealed from one degree of glory to another. We metamorphize into somebody that's more and more like Jesus. We don't always get it right, even now, but we're getting better than what we were when we first started. And then also, it's interdependently reflected. And that whole sense of the spirit of the meeting tonight of as being intertwined and interrelated works out in relationship and God is doing something in us and we are are intentional about church and what God wants us to do and out of that we began to just to roll out a few things that we see as the the DNA of the arena the stamp of God upon this community of believers for such a time as this it's not an exhaustive list it's not a list that says we're any better than anybody else it's not a list that is caused to, to, to lift us up in any wrong sense But as Christian said last week, and he used a very powerful phrase, he says, these values we would literally put our life on the line for. We'd literally die for them because they mean that much to us. And he spoke last week about passion and how vital it is to have passion. And do you know, the enemy's been brilliant. 
Because sometimes we think he, he, he sort of wants us to do terrible things. But one of the things that the enemy's really good at is being a passion killer. Absolutely. Lots of people turning up, doing religious services all over the country today. A form of godliness, but denying the power of. He's quite happy for that to go on forever. Forever. But here, there's some passion. And the fascinating thing about Arena Mansfield from that first Sunday night in uh, uh, September is that there's never been a Sunday night when you could go away and say there weren't some passion in that meeting where folks got excited. And friends, we want to fuel that, and it's so important. And tonight, and as I said already, I am conscious of time, and I'm just going to bullet point a number of things. I want us to talk about the second value of Arena DNA, which comes uh, from the foundation of the verses I've read, and it's simply this. It's discipleship. It's discipleship. If you said to me tonight, as someone that's been in Christian leadership and ministry for over 30 years, I won't, don't think about it, Phil, I want you to give me a one-word answer as to the greatest challenge that you have faced in Christian ministry over all of that time. I won't even have to think about it. It's this. It's discipleship. It's, make, it's, it's believing that people, friends, will come not only to be believers, but devoted followers of Jesus. And church life is made up of a number of different groups. There's a fringe. And we need to continually build the fringe of Arena Mansfield. There are certain people that have dobbed in here over the last six months, been a week, not been a week, been a week, not been a week. The people that you've spoken to, but you know what? They're going out tomorrow saying, that's my church. We don't see them very often. It's a fringe. Don't get frustrated with it because the bigger the fringe, the more likely that those people are going to find a journey to faith. And so there's a fringe. There are people that come to Arena and they're on an exploration of faith. They've not made a commitment yet. And it gets a little frustrating sometimes because, again, some of them come, some of them go. Some of them come for two or three weeks and, you know, and then they go away again, then they come back. There are people that have just began the journey of faith. There are people that are growing. But, friends, that all has to go across to the end of the chart where God builds a community of believers that are Christ-centered serving disciples. That's the passion of the church. And this, this progression needs to continually work through over and over again. God has not just called you to be part of the fringe. He has not just called you to perpetually be an explorer. He has not just called you to stay at beginnings. He has called you to be a disciple. And here in this passage, Jesus speaks to the disciples. He says that 11 disciples went to the mountain and Jesus spoke to them. But as he speaks to the disciples, he then mandates them to see others become disciples. Go into all the world, preaching the words and making disciples. I'll come to what a disciple is in a moment but as someone says the great commission which is often what these verses are described as has sometimes been also illustrated as being the great omission it was fascinating tonight just to hear Lou talk about operating under the banner of operation mobilization and there are some of these fabulous what are sometimes described as parachurch organizations that operate around the world and they're brilliant but you know one of the reasons, friends, that those things have come to the fore and been used so amazingly in the ch is that so often the local church has been weak on the area of impassioning people to be disciples. Take youth with a mission, for instance, YWAM. Started all those years ago by that, by that mighty man of God, Lauren Cunningham. If you were starting on a YWAM course tomorrow, 
what would be the first thing that you would do? It would be a discipleship course, DTS. That's what you do. Before you did anything else, before you took the world, before you went to the Amazon jungle, before you went to work with people in poverty in India, you would go on a discipleship course because everybody in YWAM, including the lecturers, before they can lecture, guess what? They have to do a discipleship course. And what I'm saying, friends, is thank God for these amazing movements, but you don't have to go to one of them to be a disciple because the passion is... Discipleship should also be taking place in community of believers, local churches like Arena Mansfield, continually. Let me just say a few things about discipleship. You see, some people think discipleship is, uh, let me tell you what it's not. It's not automatic. It needs to be intentional. You've got to be intentional about being discipled. Discipleship is not mystical. It's practical. Discipleship is not instant, it's a process. Discipleship is not just knowing, in other words, knowledge, it's demonstrating. And discipleship is not private, it's relational. Christianity is not private. We see, we're British and we, we just keep our faith to ourselves and we don't... You've heard Christians say at least three times tonight, there's a call to love one another. And I'm going to bring us to it again in a moment or two. You, your faith is not private. It is called to be a relational expression within the body of Christ. And there are over 250 references in the Gospels and the Acts of the Apostles to disciples. And those references to being a disciple are before we get to Acts chapter 11, where the, where the disciples are first called Christians. Before they become, were called Christians, which actually was a nickname in those days, Christians in Antioch, followers of Christ, they were already being called disciples. It wasn't that they became a Christian and then, oh yeah, we better think about being a disciple. It was the other way around. They were disciples that were noted as being followers of the way, followers of Jesus, and they were called Christians. And God is impassioned about this. He's not going to let it go, friends. He's not going to give up on it. He's not going to say it doesn't matter. Jesus Christ, in this day, building his church, is impassioned about us being disciples. What does the word mean? Well, the original word in the New Testament language of, of Greek for disciple is the word metetes and it simply means a learner or a trained one and I understand friends the power of discipleship courses and just recently at Equippers uh, on a midweek in Mansfield we've done a reminder of digging deep to build tall a discipleship course but I do smile sometimes when people say well yeah I've done the six weeks well, that's not the end, you know. This is a lifelong call to being a learner. And I, I want to say that even today I've learned something. Even today I've received something fresh from God. Even today people have said things that have come new to me. Because that's the journey of discipleship. And God wants us to continually be in a place, a lifelong journey of receiving of him, of being shaped and trained by him. He doesn't want us to overcomplicate that, but he wants us to respond to the simple invitation and challenge of following him. And I just briefly want to give us three things, and I'm just going to bullet point some things under this, because uh, that's, it's really just an overview tonight. And you may be jotting a few things down, you may not. It may be just a point that comes to you. But I want to remind you firstly that being a disciple is a calling. It's an invitation and a challenge for you to follow Jesus. 
Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, come and follow me. Matthew 9.9, come and follow me. John speaking to, uh, Jesus speaking to Philip in John 1.43, says, Philip, follow me. It's an invitation, it's a calling to be a follower of Jesus. I want to ask you for a moment tonight, why are you a Christian? See, because I, I think some of us get it wrong from the start. We get, we, we're Christians for what's in it for us. We're, we're, what's in it for us? And if you begin your Christian journey forever, what's in it for you? That's how you'll live. And you'll never live with a full revelation of God. I can't disclose the context of this conversation today because it carries some confidentiality. But I was talking to somebody even today that's been talking to somebody of another faith. One of the great world religions, but sits separate from Christianity, where in this context, this person was coming to an understanding of God and what Jesus Christ had done for them. And the fact that it all started with the fact that Jesus Christ came to this world to deal with our sin and forgive us that we could follow him. And brothers and sisters, that's where it starts. Not because you're going to live in a big house, not because he's going to give you a nice car, not because all your prayers, according to you, are going to be answered, but because we recognize that outside of God, we are lost. We are sinners. We have failed a holy God. And when Jesus says, come and follow me, the only answer, the only solution to that particular situation is Jesus Christ. Come and follow me. And if you will begin your Christian faith and live your Christian faith on that foundation, you will always go forward in progress in him. And that's where we need to be. It's a calling, friends. And God has called us. God calls all sorts of different people. In Matthew chapter 10, it lists the original apostles that he called. What a different group they were. Some blowing their head off, the sons of thunder, others quiet and seemingly unobtrusive. All sorts of different people. And then it talks in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29 about different people that God's called. And they're, they're, the called of God are often the ignored of the world. And he's, the more the world ignore them, the more God says, I'll show you. I'll show you what I can do with people that have heard my call to follow me. And what is this call involving, friends? Well, it's a call to obey. Right at the end of Matthew chapter 7, in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus in Matthew 5, 6 and 7 has been speaking to people who he's calling to be disciples to implement the kingdom of God, the rule of Jesus in their life. He finishes with a story. And you know the story of the wise and foolish man building on sand and rock. The storms came to both. The one that built upon the shore foundation stood in the storm. And the application is simply this, that that sort of person is the person that hears my words and puts them into practice. And we need to be people that obey the word of God. Not what you think it says, but what it says. I get a bit worried today because I even come across Christians that want to redefine what God's saying in his word in these days to fit in to 21st century secular postmodern, post-Christian culture. Well, he didn't really mean that. He did. And he doesn't really mean that today. It does. Because the word of the Lord endures forever. People that want to redefine the morality of what it means to be a Christian in these days, it worries me. 
And friends, we're not called to redefine the scriptures. We're called as disciples to hear what God says and implement it. And God will always honour his word. And if you will honour his word, he will honour you. We're called to love. The Bible says in Mark 12, verses 29 to 30, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and with all our strength. We're called to serve. Talk about pushy parents. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. The mother of Zebedee's sons, James and John, come up to Jesus and says, tell you what, Jesus, you know, we're sort of in the future day. Is it possible that my two lovely little boys said, never do anything wrong? They could sit at one side of you, one on the other. For all eternity, he says, you don't know what you're asking. You do not know what you're asking. And, uh, and uh, the others heard about it, and they were indignant. And Jesus says these words in verse 26. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to come first must be a slave. Why? Because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's a whole different subject, friends. But a disciple is called to serve. Called to serve in Mansfield. Called to serve where you live. Called to serve amongst those displaced people in Albania. Called to serve in Africa. Called to serve in the great cities of our nation. Called to serve tonight where people are homeless. Bending down, friends, literally and metaphorically, with the towel and the bowl of water, because that's what a disciple does. Yeah, but Phil, what's in it for me? Maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. But that's discipleship. Maybe nothing's in it for you, apart from the fact that if you will learn to serve, you become great in the kingdom. And friends, I'm not after greatness in this world, but I think we all ought to be passionate about greatness in the kingdom. And fourthly, we're called to sacrifice. Jesus says in Matthew 16, 24 to 25, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, contradict himself, take up his cross, identify with my suffering and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for me will find it. We're in the season of Lent and hear me, you know, I understand that certain people's spirituality, I've got people from the traditional churches that I fellowship with. I understand people's spirituality in terms of a preparation for Good Friday and Easter means that to identify with Jesus 40 days of fasting, they, they, they sort of stop doing things. I want to tell you, friends, you know, if you think discipleship is not, not having chocolate digestive biscuits for 40 days, you know, you, you've missed it. It's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. You see, a disciple denies himself, takes up his cross and follows Jesus. The apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I die daily. In other words, I contradict myself that I might live for him. It's the upside down principle of the kingdom that if you'll die, you'll live. If you'll lose your life, you'll find it. And too many of us fight too hard to hang on to what God is trying to get us to let go of. And discipleship, here's the calling and response. Briefly, secondly, friends, a disciple also responds to a committing. Someone says a disciple of Jesus is committed to Christ, to walk in his ways, to live his life, and to share his love and truths with others. And I want to say tonight that unashamedly in this church, we ask, by the grace of God, for people to be committed to Jesus Christ 
Because as one fine church leader says, if the church doesn't ask for your commitment, someone or something will. And there are people tonight, friends, that have decided to give the commitment to their hobby. It's amazing, isn't it, what switches folks on? I was in Weymouth a few years ago, three years ago. It was a Sunday afternoon. We were on holiday, wandering around Weymouth, which is a nice little place on the Dorset coast if you've never been. I must get 10 quid from the Weymouth Tourist Board sometime for that. But anyway, and there they were. We watched them. And they were racing these little sailing boats around this pool of water with a little motorised thing. They were from Wales. They got the big Wales rosettes on. There was somebody else from England. There was somebody. I said to Sharon, these guys have come all over, from all over the United Kingdom to race these flipping little sailing boats around the water on a Sunday afternoon. It meant everything. They were committed. They spent hundreds of pounds, bed and breakfast in, traveling, putting fuel in the petrol, making sure the little boat was as smooth as possible, to race it around this little pool of water to go home because they won a little prize. You know. I don't know, you can... Well, we weren't the Welsh. <laughs> and I know you can make any hobby, you know, because, you know, I, I like football just a bit. And, you know, the 22 blokes kicking a bag of wind. I know, because every hobby is absurd to some degree. I understand, I understand the need for switch off. not got a problem for it. not got a problem with hobbies. But you see what I'm saying, friends? Commitment. Commitment. There are people today coming back the length and breadth of this country from all sorts of things they've been involved in because somebody's asked them the commitment Jesus Christ friends is shouting loud from heaven and saying people will you be committed let me just list and I'm going to list them five things that he wants you to be committed to he wants you to be committed to the master in Luke chapter 5 and verse 5 Jesus had told Peter to because Peter was the expert fisherman and he toiled all night and caught nothing Jesus said how about throwing the nets on the other side of the boat I love that story because I just feel Peter saying, that Jesus gets right on my nerves. Why didn't he just stick to wood and let us do the fishing? The carpenter's son from Nazareth. He thinks he knows everything. He, I'm sure he was, you, you get an insight of Peter. He was thinking all these things. But grace prevailed because he said, Lord, we've toiled all night, caught nothing. But because you say so, I will. Because you say so. I will. And never mind about Peter, friends, and yeah, we've all been there. Jesus, you're getting right on my nerves. Gnawing yeah. away at my life, saying that's important to you and I need to put it right. When it's not important to me, I'd like to ignore you. Thanks very much. Jesus says, you're going nowhere unless you do that. Unless you say sorry to that person. Unless you rearrange your finances so you start to live with integrity. Unless you adjust your attitude. And it's massively important to Jesus. And that little voice gnaws away in you. It gets right on your nerves until you remember that you are called to be a committed disciple. Jesus, because you say so, yeah. I will. It's amazing. There was a miracle after that obedience. And if you're wanting miracles to continually outwork themselves in your life, if you will continually respond to Jesus with a similar heart, miracles will chase you and continue to do so. There was a commitment to the word of God. 
John 15. It's people that implement the word of God that reflect the discipleship of Jesus. There was a commitment to bearing fruit. John 15, 1 to 8. Don't have time to open that up tonight. But connected to the vine, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be what? My disciples. There was a commitment to others. John 13, 34 to 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I love you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. It wasn't new, friends, in terms of time because God had spoken about it in the past. But it was new. The word new there is not about time. It's about quality. God was bringing a renewed sense of depth to that call to love one another. And of course, that's so easy for us, isn't it? Because the church of Jesus Christ is full of perfect people with, with sort of serene temperaments. There's nobody that ever winds you up or gets on your nerves or you rub shoulders with temperamentally. The body of Christ is so easy to navigate through. No, it's full of humanity. Full of people. Full of different temperament. But if you're a disciple, you're committed to love these people. I want to tell you, friends, I just, I just love these Sunday nights because I, I just sense that there's something good about us loving one another. And God's pleased. And it reflects discipleship. And of course, as we've already seen in, in Matthew and again in Mark, there's a commitment to the, com- to, to the commission to go and tell others. And I close, friends, not only with speaking about the calling and a sense of commitment, but realizing that to be a disciple is a challenge. And the upside down truths of the kingdom really do work. And if we will lose our life in his, we will find it. If we die to ourselves, we will really live out the kingdom principles, whatever that means to you. You see, the challenge is for us to live in this world as citizens of an entirely different kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. In another context today, we've been reminded not to chase things like other people would do, like lemons at times, but to have a different sense of what God wants in our lives. And responding to the challenge will mean an overcoming. We'll, we'll desire by God's grace to overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil. A challenge to bring a priority into our lives, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and let all those other things be added to us. A challenge to be living John 10.10, living life in all of its fullness and a challenge to be yielding again and again and again to Jesus' ways and plans because they are always best. You know, it's amusing, friends. I get to places in my life and think, that's it. Done really well responding to Jesus. 56 next. Been on this pathway a long time. Nice and easy. And then he says, actually, I've got something else to say. And he causes us to yield and yield and yield and yield because he's impassioned about us metamorphosing from one degree of glory to the other so that we'll increasingly become like him. And what was the promise to the disciples? Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Brothers and sisters, this is part of arena DNA. It's something we're impassioned about. It's something we'll give ourselves to. It's something we'll continually encourage. And I want to encourage you, whether you've been a Christian just a few months, a few years, 
whether you've had a difficult time and you've been able to come back and reconnect with the life of the body, whether you feel you've let God down, but you're really finding yourself in God again, whether you've been a Christian 20, 30, 40, 50 years, been around the life of church, this really is all inclusive. Let's allow nothing to deter us from responding to the call, from bringing our commitment and to rise into the challenge. And that is to being disciples.